Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, Content Marketing Manager at ClearanceJobs.com. And today I am very excited about our guest. I used to work in HR, but we have Natalie Norfus, who is an expert in HR and is founder of the Norfus Firm and host of the What's the Deal, D-E-I-L podcast. And so she has 20 years of experience as a labor and employment attorney and is an HR and DEI practitioner. Really, like I said, an expert and authority on HR strategies, executive search, conducting internal investigations and leadership development, all that we are going to discuss today. And so the Norfus firm was formed in early 2019. And born out of that experience that Natalie has gained, and they have an alliance of consultants that help bring organizational solutions to clients in many areas. And so you believe that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to HR or DEI initiatives. Today, we're going to share with our audience about how organizations can better engage with employees better build on their retention numbers, and how to manage conflict within a business environment. And so, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Lovely introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And so HR practitioners, for sure, try to be innovative in their strategies to reach employees, how to develop techniques to manage performance, conflict, or really just the chaos that happens in a business and really evoke a culture that keeps their employees. And so tell us, what are employers just really doing wrong when it comes to HR strategy? They're not listening to their people, Mm. either because they're not actively seeking that feedback or they're getting the feedback and they're not using it to shape people's strategies going forward. Well, and I I feel like I hear that in so many organizations, you know, HR is conducting these surveys and then not doing anything with the feedback, which it's it's that execution of getting the feedback and then really sort of trying to model your processes and that it, that listening piece is so important. It is, and I and I appreciate you even like raising that because what I've what I've said to folks before is like if you, if you don't want to do something about what folks are telling you, then don't ask, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it, but the reality is, is that if you want to see folks stay and see folks really commit themselves to your mission, your, your business strategies and the like, it behooves you to listen, right? I mean, I think if you're watching, like, I don't know if you're on TikTok, but I love TikTok because it really helps with like HR and DEI trends. And when you see what folks are saying about their work and what we see in our own work, People want clarity and boundaries, and they want to see that their employers do care about what they think and take that into consideration with how they do business. And I think that when you're talking about some of those surveys, you're you're saying people still sometimes do them in sort of a perfunctory manner, like we should do uh, an employee engagement survey. And I, and I don't think that they think through the whole process of like, why are you doing it? And are you willing to accept tough feedback that may not comport with what you think is happening and then, and then act on it? Now, I don't think any employee and certainly not any consultant is saying you should do everything your 
employees want you to do. That's unrealistic. But what I think employers really miss the mark on is if you're going to do this survey, make sure you have experts with you that kind of help you understand the universe of what you could hear. And if you're going to hear that, does that work with what you're trying to do with the business? And so I think it's this idea of really being intentional about asking for feedback because you're actually willing to do something about it. Then the last piece is being transparent with your employees. We tell this to client all the time. You don't have to do everything that your, that your employees want you to do, but you should at least acknowledge that they've given you feedback, what you learned from that feedback, and what you are willing to do about what you heard. Absolutely. And I feel like specific to sort of the government contracting world, a lot of HR processes are, you know, going to be paperwork and and things like that. And so really taking the time to get this feedback is is so important, especially in terms of retention. And like I said, it's very important for our cleared recruiting audience hoping to keep their contracts fully staffed. And so what if leaders are just too late when it comes to engaging with these employees? Well, I I love that question. And I would like to just back up one step because you made a comment that I think is really important to think about here. When you're a government contractor, you have lots of rules that you're subject to, right? Or at least requirements from the government so that you can keep your contract. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that causes leaders to say, well, we can't do much because we're a government contractor. And I would just encourage leaders that are that are government contractors to think beyond just sort of the words on those pages and, and think about how we can get creative because there is a lot you can do and still be within the bounds of your of your government contract. I, I would just say an analogous situation where we sometimes hear this is like nonprofit, oh we have all these grants. And to keep the grants, we have to make sure we do X. And it's like, great, there's a way to keep the grants and be responsive to your employees' needs. And then pivoting to your question around what if people are too late? I don't think that there's ever being too late unless all of your employees leave you and you have no one to do your work, which is not very common that that happens. But what I do think is that people do a lot of damage to their employment brand by not prioritizing employee feedback. I mean, I'm just using employee feedback in that broad category, right, through the surveying and the like. Because the other pieces that are that really work against an employer who's not being thoughtful about their employment brand is people love to go to Glassdoor. Glassdoor is still a very pivotal way that people go and get feedback on an employer. And we do that often with our clients to see what their image is on Glassdoor. And if you're going on Glassdoor and you're rated really low when it comes to like benefits or really low when it comes to how people are treated then that is a knock against you before someone even thinks about interviewing with you. Uh, beyond Glassdoor, you're dealing with social media trends. Going back to my point earlier, I'm stunned as to where we've evolved you know, as a, as, as a nation and a society where people screenshot emails from their bosses directly from these places, right? Or they screenshot texts they get from their bosses about if they're asking for time off. So you have that other sort of stuff in the background where people can consistently and constantly um, put your information on social media and you know create a trend out of it. Now, you're not going to be able to satisfy everyone. So I'm not suggesting that there's the solution of listening to your employees means none of this will ever happen, but it certainly diminishes the risk of it happening and increases 
the chances that people will talk about you in a positive way and encourage others to apply for your company. Sure. I mean, branding and the world that we live in today online, it's all a sort of retention and recruitment tool. And, you know, again, that feedback is really important. And I'd love to continue to to discuss that because I, I don't hear at least with the government contractors I've supported in the past, there there wasn't that engagement. And so especially for small businesses who, you know, maybe HR teams feel a little bit overwhelmed, that feedback is critical. And so with hybrid work, just because the government is operating in that capacity for a lot of roles, how can leaders or HR teams just make sure that their employees feel more a part of that team and incorporating that feedback? Oh, that's a great topic. That's a great question. And definitely we're seeing we're seeing those surges again, right? Where like employers are like, forget that, you gotta be here. And people are like, no, I don't, right? And that led mm-hmm. to that's led to lots of trends, but one that's out right now is this lazy girl job trend. And and the lazy girl job trend really is another form of quiet quitting, which we heard about before, right? Where where people are like, I am only gonna do what's in the four squares of my job description. And I'm not going to work extra hours. I'm not going to go the extra mile. And then we hear back from people, leaders, oh, well, then that means you're not going to get promoted. And that means you're not going to really be able to grow that much with this company. And I think going back to your question of making sure that people are feeling engaged in this point is regardless of where people are located, it's, it still comes back to like that read the room kind of thing. Because some people don't care about getting promoted. Some people work to live, not live to work, right? And so they're like, as long as I'm being paid a decent salary, you're not going to call me on the weekends. You're not going to like call me after hours. Then I'm good. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to be CEO. I don't want to be a vice president here. And so I think, so that creates like this baseline question of our leaders even thinking about the various meanings of success to their employees, because that helps to understand how you're going to deal with different populations of employees. We don't live in a linear world anymore. I think if you were talking maybe even 10 years ago, everyone was theoretically looking for a way to be move up the ladder. And the pandemic has really changed how people think about work and how that relates to the, how they live every day. So I think the first piece is just because success looks a way to you as a CEO or a VP or an executive does not mean that the lion's share of your employees look at success the same. So then when you're thinking about, okay, what are the other ways that I would motivate people, right? If it's not a promotion or growing, what else does that look like? And I think what we're seeing hugely with work from home workforces, including our own here at the Norfus firm is how do we connect? So like, how do I feel like I'm part of a team? Right. So if we just use my team as an example, we live in different places. And so when we have this has come up from a few folks, it's like, I don't feel like we're connect. We get to connect enough and I want to like connect more. Right. That, that becomes the, the, the language you're starting to hear. So what we started doing was rotating like who comes up with the agenda for our all hands meetings and making sure that like every meeting starts with some kind of fun icebreaker. Like on Monday, uh, when we had our all hands meeting, it was like, what's a, like a something, a revelation you've had or something you've discovered in the past few weeks. And it was like, there's no bounds on it. So it was so, it ended up being a really funny conversation because one person is trying to buy a car and they're like, that it's all a scam. And they start talking about some of the things there. You know, for me, it was, 
practicing non-attachment, right? Like not being attached that our clients do exactly what we say, but that we're seeing progress with them. And when we are not attached to a particular outcome, we get a lot more powerful results with our clients. So it's again, being thoughtful and me listening to, hey, people want to feel connected. They don't want to be in an office. They don't want to see everybody every day, but they want to feel like, hey, I understand what my colleagues are working on. And as a team, we connect. And that's been hard in this virtual world because most leaders that lead folks now are used to doing so with some form of an in-person workforce. So obviously it takes some relearning and retraining and retooling in term to, to do that. Very great points. And one thing I really love about is just how the Norfus firm takes like a data-centered approach. And, you know, data really is everything these days and even in the business function of people, which I, I feel like, you know, with HR, you may not think about data within all of the processes, certainly some because you're managing employee accounts and things like that. So how can HR practitioners better use that data when it comes to functions like DEI and managing HR workflows or people issues and things of that nature? Love this question. And yes, I, we love data. I just got a, I got a, just got an Apple watch to help me with my working out. And my team today was like, is it too much data? Is it overwhelming? Or is it reassuring? I was like, hmm, I think, I think it's just at this point, it's just data. I don't feel overwhelmed by it. But, you know, again, I say that jokingly because data can be very overwhelming. There's so many different things you could look at. So I bring it back to our HR people really in tuned with the business goals and strategies. I think oftentimes where things become really difficult for HR professionals is they're not so tied into what are the KPIs that are not people related for the business? Like what is the business trying to achieve? Because then that helps you with what data you can be partnering with your business partners on and sharing. So I think I'm always encouraging HR and DEI professionals to where they can make sure that they're really digging into understanding what their business partners are trying to accomplish. When we hear complaints about HR folks and DEI folks from clients, it's like, it's always like they don't get what we're doing. Like they don't get the business. So it's understanding that you really are a business partner because people is probably one of the biggest assets most uh, employers have. And so you have, you are involved in a really critical function, but you also want to make sure that you are an actual business partner. So when you're thinking about a recruiting strategy, it's, it's, it's tied to and being thoughtful of what the business is trying to understand. So I think that's the biggest piece. And then once you're really clear on, okay, this is what the, with, this is what the business is trying to accomplish. And I know as, a, as an HR professional to get to where they're looking to, let, let's say they want to expand to three more states and, okay, we're going to need 20 more employees to do that, right? And sort of being sort of proactive with folks about, look, based on what you guys have done in other places, this is like the, the headcount you're going to need, right? So getting into some of that granular stuff, because that helps the business people understand that you understand what they need, right? And that helps them want to come to you and partner with you more on making sure they're doing it well. And then when we all, the other piece is what stories are your data telling you? We, we've had situations where we're presenting data to a client and they're like, why am I hearing this for the first time? Like, who was supposed to be telling me this? And oftentimes it's, it's the HR department. 
So it's like, if you're going to do an engagement survey, make sure your question, you're, you're not just asking the standard questions that everyone asks, ask questions that help you tell a story that's relevant to your business. Because sometimes we just get in this habit of, well, these are the questions everyone always asks. But for us as, as an Orphis firm, we design all our surveys to the client. We do have a handful of questions that we always ask to be able to, for comparison's sake, across clients. But we really, like, it more matters, like, what is happening in your business that's relevant to your business? So that might be being able to explain turnover. So if we go back to this work from home example and folks still, like, trying to push people back, hey, we've seen a real, like, a, a 4% uptick in, in turnover because and people are telling us when they leave, it's because you're requiring them to be in the office. So it's like you're using all these things that you would probably normally do anyway. You'd probably do exit surveys anyway. You'd probably be looking at turnover anyway, but it's elevating it and making sure you're asking questions that tie to business goals. So we're not just in a vacuum saying, hey, we have all these people leaving, but we have all these people leaving for this reason and that's going to be really difficult when you want to expand into those new three states. Sure. And it just goes back to, you know, when I was, I originally worked in HR and then I kind of focused on recruiting, but just being able to work cohesively with other teams and talk to each other, but you, you just need to, to speak with each other and understand what, like you said, everyone's working on. And especially, you know, within the HR function and, gov and government contractors, if they're a small business set aside, working with other teams and knowing what those numbers are and those goals that they need to meet, under making sure that your leaders understand that and then working with security and other sort of business functions. And so let's talk about, you know, keeping those employees retention. Uh, that's something that's, you know, very interesting to me. And so building trust and fairness in the workplace is definitely a big component of that and keeping people. And so I mentioned in my intro that you've conducted investigations. And so talk about, you know, building trust and fairness in the workplace. And if it's not there, what types of investigations that can lead to? Listen, trust is the name of the game in the workplace. I can't tell you how often this is coming up for us, right? Leaders not trusting each other, which is problematic, right? That's sort of analogous to, you know, spouses that don't, don't, aren't getting along and like the kids are watching type of situation, right? If, if leaders are not aligned with one another and it doesn't mean they won't disagree, right? But if they truly like, you know, you're, you're talking badly about one of your colleagues or undermining their work or the things that we see leaders do, it means your employees aren't going to trust you either, right? Because it's like, well, they don't even like each other or they don't even get along or they're not even on the same page. So that's, that's, that's a, again, starting at the top is huge. It's like, are you and your exact, like if you're the CEO, are your direct reports and you aligned? Again, not agreeing on every single thing, but aligned. Because that's the first place people look is, do we seem to have a leadership team that's intact and that they, they get it and they're, they're moving in sync? So that's one. The other thing about trust and how that relates to retention is gets at that inclusion piece that we talk a lot about. Are leaders taking time to get to know their employees and know what their employees are motivated by and understand their work product so that they can help them grow or they can help them achieve whatever goals, personal goals that within that leader's sphere of influence um, while they're employed? 
And so we are still, again, it, again, it requires a lot more work when you have a work from home workforce, but we're seeing leaders leave out that, that, that sort of light touch part which is an, actually a heavy touch now because it's really important to employees of in-person settings, walking around, asking people how they're doing, uh, work from home settings, doing, you know, skip level meetings, for example, and 15 minutes with people, a couple people every month that you wouldn't normally work with and getting to know them a bit. It is that those things which actually don't cost a lot of money, they cost labor money, but they really don't cost any other type of money to execute go so much further than like piling on lots of benefits and things that people probably don't even have time to use because then it sends the message that you care about me as an employee and you're modeling behavior that I respect. And so that helps you to build trust. One thing I just should put out there, trust does not happen in one conversation, right? So this is why I'm saying it takes practice. It's something you want to find the five, 10 minutes to devote time to every day because that little five and 10 minutes becomes a big, big impact in the end. So if we're, again, if we're thinking about building trust, which I think is, is bottom line, the biggest part of what's happening right now and wh where people choose to stay or leave a place, I mean, that really is sort of a common theme of what we deal with, that requires daily work that oftentimes is not even that expensive, but has, can have that long-term impact. If I was going to sum it up really quickly, it's people want to know that they can look up to their leaders and those are the type of people that they may aspire to be. They may aspire to be themselves in a different version, but they look at the, the folks that, and they're like, I trust you with my paycheck. I know that you're making good. I feel good that you're making good decisions and me coming here every day has a benefit and a purpose to my own life and to other people. If we're skipping that, right, or we have a, a work environment where we where the trust is very low. And people don't even feel like they can talk about like things they're concerned about or th things that the company can improve upon, like with their, their teams, then it does often lead to breakdowns in communication where people, like it could have been something very small, right? Like, hey, we have a ticketing system and I'm an IT person and I have to answer based on tickets. I really think things could be a lot easier if we were assigned by business unit instead of all of us having to grab whatever ticket is available, because then that would help me better understand that business unit and be more of a resource and be more proactive. And it might reduce the number of tickets we have. Let's say that's a suggestion someone gives and people are like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Great suggestion. And then that, of course, that person's going to feel not heard, right? Again, you may not have to take their suggestion, but you're not telling them like the why, like, why, why, why not? Like, why don't you think this is a good idea so that they can at least understand you've heard them and like, you're not going to do it, but they understand why. And then an, a small issue maybe pops up where uh, an executive of maybe the marketing team sends an IT ticket. And in that ticket, the person saying, I'm so sick of this because every time I send the ticket, I get someone different to work on my stuff. And it's like, no one seems to truly understand. And I have to start all the way over every time I send a ticket because the person coming to me doesn't understand it. And, and, and it just so happens that the person that made the suggestion gets that ticket. And then everyone scurries because they, they really care about this marketing person and they don't want that person to be upset. And so then they come barking at the IT people like, why aren't you set up differently? Why, is they, why are they getting a different person every time? Imagine what happens to the person who made the original suggestion maybe add that they have some protected characteristic, they're older, they're a woman, they're a person of color, that would encourage them to think, or it might 
lead them to think you didn't listen to my initial suggestion because I'm old, because I'm black, because I'm a woman or any of those things. And it's like they were dealing with an investigation. And then the leaders are like, oh my God, how would anybody have ever thought that? Like we didn't, but when you start digging in, a lot of times there aren't legal issues there. There are communication issues there. And you're not seeing people and following up with them. You're treating them sort of like cogs in the wheel. And we just need you to get this done. And that approach in this day and age is super problematic because people have had enough of it. So I think if we just tie it all together, it, it comes back to how we started is you, you should be very interested on a regular basis of what's going on with your employees, right? You don't have to do employee engagement surveys every month, but there's other things you can do like pulse surveys. Uh, stay interviews, but staying on top of it and not just discarding it because you don't agree with it, which I think sometimes leaders do too, or you think that you're a generous employer and people are just being ungrateful. Because a lot of these issues that I see with investigations were avoidable, right? They start with something very small and balloon because they were never actually addressed. That is just a fantastic example to I, I feel like to leaders, just show the importance of staying engaged with your employees. And I know that in contracting, like all of this stuff, I feel like is perpetuated because, you know, you're thinking about contract numbers and, you know, maybe leaders are working at a corporate office and, you know, contractors are working at a government site and maybe don't see each other. And so like this this feedback, it just could help, especially recruiters. I mean, that's who I'm always thinking about. It could just help so much in retention numbers and, you know, helping your business to remain successful within this industry. And so you, you've worked in a, a, a few different businesses, including international businesses and different industries. But for our government contracting audience specifically, would you have any advice to those HR or recruitment personnel that might be listening? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like take the time to read the contracts because that helps you understand like this, the sandbox that you're playing within, right? Like, so as an HR person, I think it's so critical to come in and read that entire contract so that you can start to pull out what relates, what could relate to HR directly? What types of things should you be thoughtful for indirectly? I mean, an analogous situation was, you know, I was in-house at a, a big brand that was a franchising brand. Now, I'm an employment lawyer. I'm not a franchising lawyer, lawyer, but I read a sample franchise agreement from beginning to end pretty early on, just so I understood, like, the type of main contract that the business worked around. Again, it wasn't necessarily directly related to what I do, but it helped me to have that in the background when I'm getting questions about you know, a franchisee or can we do this or can we do that, right? Initially, my mind has got to go to, well, what does the contract say? The other piece, obviously, that helps from a compliance aspect, but when you're when you're really thoughtful about the, the government contract and what your company is aimed at, the service they're aimed at or the product they're aimed at providing, it also lets you become a lot more creative with how you're addressing your staff and your employees. Because you know what you, you you know the bounds, but that means there's so many things you can do within those bounds. I think people think about contracts as restrictive, which I understand. But I think when you know the full extent of what you're dealing with, then you know what you can and cannot do a lot more nimbly, and you're not saying, "Well, I don't think I don't know if we can do that because we have the contract, and I don't know if the government would be okay with that." Like, get comfortable with what they are comfortable with, so that you're more nimble when it comes to these day to days. And I think the third piece 
is really just making sure that you're really, really in tune with the data, right? That you're not coming to, to your business leaders with fragments of information. Oh my gosh, we just had this exit interview and it was just really bad. And they said all these really bad things because business leaders don't respond to like one singular data point in that same way that you are. And that creates a lot of frustration because oftentimes when we're bringing leaders that one data point, it's because we know that it's symptomatic of something bigger. But when you're dealing with business leaders who are dealing with numbers and that's really how they are like mostly are driven, we have to speak the same language as them. So, you know, I've worked really hard as an example to try to avoid being like viewed as the girl who cries wolf by giving people just like single anecdotes, right? We're going to come to you with the facts and we're going to sort of, here's what they mean. Here's what we suggest. And then allow, you know, business leaders the opportunity to, to get in and digest. And I think a really small sort of thing that helps there is even when we know we're going to give heavy information and things that people might be defensive about, upset about, whatever the case may be is, is one, you, you, you let them know, hey, you might hear things today that are going to be tough. We get that, right? We don't want to just come in here and dump a lot of heavy information on folks that could be emotionally triggering or provocative without giving that warning. And when we are giving large presentations, we try to give, make sure that the folks that we're going to be doing the presentation to get it two days ahead so that they have time to read it and have some level of processing on their own. We've also found that when you're giving presentations with really heavy data that may be talking about retention or how employee relations issues, whatever the case may be is, it's often very difficult for non-HR experts to process it all on the spot like seeing it for the first time. Hmm. Well, that's a really good point. And it, it all just kind of goes back to communication in my mind, knowing who you're communicating with and to help, you know, communicate effectively, making sure that you're giving all the information for the entire picture. And so, I, I you know, coming from HR, I mean, HR practitioners must be able to communicate effectively. And so these are all really great nuggets for our audience. So, Let's talk closing thoughts and you have a podcast of your own. So I would love to hear more about that and share that with our audience. What's the deal? D-E-I-L. So diversity, equity, and inclusion and leadership. We developed this podcast because we found that sort of aligned with what you and I've been talking about today, a lot of our projects are made or broken by leaders at the top. And we don't fortunately run into many leaders who are against the concepts, you know, of DEI and, and having a fair workplace and having folks with many different backgrounds and perspectives and making sure it's fair and people know what it takes to succeed. I mean, those are things that most leaders take away the acronym are, are, are down with, right? Like they want that. But what was happening is that leaders get stuck right? Because they don't want to say the wrong thing. We're in a, we live in a very litigious society. They don't want to be the next social media boycott trend, right? So they, they don't know what they're supposed to do. And so we created this podcast. There are episodes. We try to keep them short, 15 to 20 minutes. We talk about very, you know, top of, of your news feed, uh, employment, uh, workplace issues. And like, what are the steps that leaders can be taking on it? Like the practical steps that leaders can be taking on a daily basis to take some of the mystery out of what it means to be an inclusive leader. 
Because at the end of the day, practically speaking, and you, you know this from having been in HR, HR people cannot do all of this by themselves. DEI people cannot do all this stuff by themselves. Building a strong workplace culture is everyone's job, not just HR or not just DEI people. So our goal is to really help people see where they fit in that and where they can be accountable to creating an inclusive workplace. So great. And everyone should definitely go have a listen to the What's the Deal podcast. And thank you so much for joining the Security Clearance Careers podcast today. And for more information on DEI best practices, other HR strategy, and everything cleared recruitment and retention, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. Thank you.